All right. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I tell you what, it's a very exciting day uh, here at Hope Des Moines for a lot of different reasons. From time to time, all of uh, the campuses get together and we feel like there's certain messages that we all want to hear the same things. And so normally here, uh, we've got a live sermon. Uh, today, it's a live sermon. It's just up there. Uh, he's not going to step out of the screen or anything, but today we're going to hear from uh, Mike Halsoller, our senior pastor. And it is so good to be reminded that we are more, uh, we are a bigger church family than just what exists uh, right here. God has called us to, to look outside of ourselves, to not be so consumed, just what we need and with what we have, but to look outside and say, God, what are you doing excuse me, all across the metro area, and he's doing some amazing things. You get to see that in the 360 video uh, every week, but it's good to be reminded that we're one family. We're all together, and so from time to time, uh, we hear from Pastor Mike, and today uh, is one of those days. It's an important uh, topic, and uh, I I don't know about you, but it seems like it's been a pretty slow, slow couple weeks in the news. Nothing really going on uh, at all. Uh, I'm I'm being facetious. some of it uh, is, is a laughing matter, some things we see, and a lot of it's not. We know that, that there are things that we need to talk about. There's things that we need to, to go back to God's word and say, God, what do you think about this? Beyond all the other opinions uh, that are out there, and, and that's where Pastor Mike's going to take us today. But before we do that, I just want you to know one thing. As you walked in here this morning, it may have crossed your mind. It, it crosses my mind from, from time to time. You just had this thought, does anybody really understand what's going on in my life? I mean, does anybody really know what I'm going through today. I'm just walking in here and it can kind of feel like you're just sort of an anonymous person sometimes. And I, I think that God wants us to hear this morning that, that he sees us. He sees you. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows the things that you've been going through this week. He knows the fears you have about the week ahead. He knows the struggles you've had in the week behind. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And so I want to encourage you today as we pray and invite his presence here that that you would open up your heart, that that you would have eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that God wants to show you this morning, that we would not simply go through the motions, that it's not just one more Sunday. God is doing some amazing things around here, and we don't want you to miss it. And so we're just going to pray right now that God would make our hearts soft. That's our our prayer together, that that we would be people with a posture of humility that's ready to receive what he has for us and that we would, we would tell God, you know, God, we value your opinion, not even your opinion, your word, your steadfast truth more than any other opinion of this world. And God, we put our hope and our trust in you because at the end of the day, Jesus is the only one that can change lives. Amen? He's the only one capable of transforming the human heart and putting this world back together the way it was meant to be. So as we prepare our hearts this morning, go ahead and take out your Bibles. I want to encourage you to open it up, Mark chapter 12. As we uh, wrap up our uh, Join the Revolution sermon series today, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. We encourage you to follow along. And as we do that, let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Jesus, you are everything that we need. You know exactly what's going on in our lives. And so we do. We, We rest in you. We just relish in the stillness and the silence that's so rare, it seems, in our lives, in our world today. God, we want to hear from you. We want to have an encounter with you because we know that your presence is is here. God, you were here long before any of us were this morning, filling this space. Pray that we would feel your touch this morning, that we would know that you are so 
close. God, you are the potter and we are the clay. And we receive everything that you have for us this morning with, with humble and receptive and soft hearts. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for loving us first. And all God's people said together, amen. amen. Jesus was in a real pickle. I mean, he, he was being pushed around here uh, by the Pharisees and, and the Herodians. It wasn't just the religious leaders this time. Now the government showed up, too. So they're there because they don't like Jesus. He's doing this whole revolution thing. And he's causing quite a stir, so they want to arrest him. They want to stop it. They want to arrest the development of the Jesus movement. And so they go after him with, with some really pretty smart questions. I mean, they, they've tried before. As we've been going through this series of sermons uh, here at Hope, and if you're new to Hope, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here uh, watching at any of our uh, campuses around the Des Moines area right now uh, via video. Hello, welcome to you too. Together as one church in multiple locations, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark the last several weeks, and we're going through all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this year, in this year of the Gospels, our walk through the Bible, uh, uh, the Gospels of Jesus Christ, and focusing in on them, and it's been an incredible journey. As we've been going through, we notice these repeated themes. One of those repeated themes is, right away, people get nervous around Jesus. They get very anxious. They don't like where he stands. They don't like the things that he's saying. It's too radical, it's too revolutionary, so they want to stop it. And they've tried before and haven't been able to do it. Jesus is able to counterpunch or to, to roll off of all of their, their, their attempts to knock him out. And this time they've, they've really kind of pondered it and thought it through. They probably had meetings to discuss what could we ask Jesus that would get this whole Jesus prayed stopped. And this was it. This is what they came up with. It was the whole government issue, the tax issue. To understand this historically, it's helpful to know that Jewish people like Jesus and his disciples and the overwhelming majority of the crowd that followed him, thousands of people now, that they uh, had no love at all for the Roman Empire. They, um, they had spite and in their sinful human nature, hatred toward Caesar. Uh, they didn't want to pay the tax. They wanted to rebel. They saw Jesus as maybe somebody they could use in their rebellion. And they thought maybe the whole point of him coming was to take over the empire or certainly to move Israel to a position of more prominence. They were way too short-sighted and narrow-minded. They were missing the whole point. Jesus came for more. And his response reflects that. The religious leaders, though, got together with the, 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 the Herodians, the, the empire people, and they brought this question to Jesus. Because so many in the crowd of thousands were offended by being in an occupied territory and being oppressed by the Roman Empire, they didn't want to pay the tax. And they wanted Jesus to be on their side on this hot-button social issue. Too bad there aren't any hot-button social issues for us to talk about here today that are relevant that would help illustrate this sermon. But I'll try. I find it God's sense of humor and wonderfully ironic and comical and sort of the story of my life. A year ago, we set the calendar for these sermons a year in advance. 
And a year ago, we set up this sermon that I would preach on this particular weekend, on this text from Mark 12, a sermon entitled, At the Intersection of Church and State, assuming I'd just be able to preach about it in general terms, and we would walk through it and see what this story's all about and, and, and apply it, but it would be very difficult to find any real-world applications, because these things are few and far between. And then I woke up Friday morning, and there it was. So they come to Jesus and they say, where do you stand, Jesus? Where do you stand on this issue? It's the hot-button social issue of our day. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And don't you dare say the wrong thing or we're walking. We're out of here. Because this is the issue that defines us. This is the issue that unites us. This is the, this is the big issue of our day. And people can argue that about gay marriage, or they can argue about that about the Affordable Care Act, which the Supreme Court ruled on the day before, or they can argue about that over racial tensions and issues, which sadly is in the news in horrific ways, uh, reminding us just how far we still have to go, even though we've come some ways, how far we still have to go in terms of racial reconciliation in this nation, that there are still people who call themselves Americans who have so much hatred inside of them that they commit a terrorist act in a church in Charleston, South Carolina, a church called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. To have the gall to walk in there and to shoot up people simply because of the color of their skin, that's the motivation there are so many things that confuse us, so many things that, that, that put us in a spin cycle almost. We almost go, Lord, where, 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 do you have a word for us? And as much as I think it's funny that I'm preaching on this on this particular weekend and all, you know, everything's broken loose and the floodwaters have risen too at the same time. I'm so glad that it's me and I'm so glad I'm here today. I'm so glad you're here today because God has a word for us. God has a word for all of us. And it may not be the word you expect, and it may not be a word that's comfortable, but following Jesus isn't about making sure we're all comfortable. Following Jesus first and foremost is about surrendering it all to him. Everyone say surrender. It's about surrendering it all to because we trust him with that. You don't have to surrender things to, to, to others in that sort of way, but surrender to Jesus because we can trust him. We're safe in God's hands with Jesus Christ. So we surrender it all. At the intersection of church and state, that's what the people are bringing to Jesus. Do we pay the tax or not? If you say the wrong thing, Jesus, we're going to arrest you. Jesus was in a real pickle because he is in a no-win situation. If he says, yes, pay the tax to Caesar, he offends the whole crowd. I mean, the overwhelming majority of the crowd. And, and, and he loses his mission and, and any kind of relevance and, and, and maybe they revolt and, 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 and you know, the, the crowd rushes on him and, and they start a riot against him. It happened to the Apostle Paul not too long after this. He said the wrong thing, what the crowd didn't want to hear, and they came after him. On the other hand, if Jesus says that you should not pay the tax to Caesar, he pleases the masses, he pleases the crowds, but he highly offends the Roman soldiers and the empire representatives who are there, the Herodians, who are going to report this to Jesus or arrest him on the spot, imprison him, and probably put him on trial for the sake of executing him, which will happen, but it isn't time yet. So what does Jesus do? Well, he comes up with this incredibly genius, he's God, so I guess we shouldn't be surprised, but he says, show me one of your coins, show me one of these Roman coins, 
which is brilliant because they're not supposed to be carrying these coins. Jewish citizens are supposed to be calling, carrying Jewish coins because they're so offended by the Roman Empire, Emperor uh, 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 Caesar's image on the coin. It's idolatry to them. It's against their religion. Not only that, the inscription around it says it's Caesar, the son of God. <laughs> calling himself son of God. And on the flip side of the coin, it says he's the chief priest over all of the land. That is religiously highly offensive to any Jewish man or woman in the crowd. And so when Jesus says, hey, one of you, give me a Roman coin, if any Jewish person flipped out a Roman coin, that's highly embarrassing. But someone did. And then Jesus says, well, whose face is it that's stamped on that coin? And it's, well, can't, it's Caesar. All right, good. Then give to... Oh, hold on. Before Jesus answered, he wants to know motives. Why do you want to know? Why are you trying to trap me? Hey, Pastor Mike, where do you stand on gay marriage? How do you feel about abortion? How, how, how do you feel about the uh, Obamacare? How, how, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about some of the wars that are going on around the world? How, how do you feel about the military? How, how do you feel about uh, you know, uh, violence? How do you feel about racism? How do, you, how do you feel about all these issues? What's, what's Lutheran Church of Hope stand on these things? Where do we stand? Because we all have to stand in the right place, and we all have to find a church that stands where we stand so that we can all hang out with the people that agree with us, right? That's what they're saying to Jesus. Tell us if you're with us, Jesus. And Jesus' response is, what, what's your motivation for that? Why do you want to know? And then what he basically says is, I want to make sure you're with me. Instead of me conforming to your political movement, your rebellion, your stance on some social issue, hot button, though it may be of the day, I want to make sure you're with me. So he says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and Give to God what belongs to God. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And the crowd was amazed, the Bible says. Because where there is no way, God just made a way. He didn't get arrested. The crowds didn't leave. Because what he was saying, and it didn't take much for them to figure it out, is this is not the issue that will define my ministry. Let me say it again. This is not, I don't care how important it is to society. This is not the issue that will define us. This is not, 21 years ago when I preached my first sermon at Lutheran Church of Hope uh, on sexual boundaries, I said, this issue will not define us as a church. And I don't make that up because I'm such a brilliant preacher. I get that from the Bible. I get that from the example of our Lord, from our leader, Jesus Christ. I'm just following him. Where do we stand on all these issues? We stand with Jesus. We stand on the word of God. Whatever it says, where it comforts us, where it challenges us, whatever it might be. And we do our best to interpret that faithfully. And I would rather be faithful and unpopular because the sands of society are always shifting. Have you noticed? Are you old enough to notice this? And they, the pendulum swings to the left, and then everybody thinks, oh, we've gone too far left. And then it goes way back to the right. And they say, oh, we've gone way far, too far to the right. And then it swings back. Do you know history? This is what happens. It swings back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But the word of the Lord remains the same. 
It's the constant. It's the bedrock. It's the foundation in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of feeling like we're in the spin cycle. It's the thing that centers us. It's the, it's the way we find our truth, our way, and our life. The scriptures say this, and we experience it. Jesus is saying, with all due respect, and he isn't saying it isn't important. By saying, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, he's actually saying government matters. Caesar matters. There's, there, it's important. In fact, faithful people have a biblical responsibility to be actively engaged in the public square. To, to, to be, to, if you're so called to that vocation to run for office and to serve as a public servant and to lead and, and to debate these issues and, and, and to bring the light of the gospel into these places. But the way we do it matters. It's not just what we do and where we stand. It's not just if we land in, in, in righteous places. It's if we do it in a righteous way. God wants to know our hearts. He wants to know our motives. Why do you ask me these things? Why do you want to know where your church stands on these things? I get, I get all sorts of pressure all the time. And in 21 years, still haven't caved to it. So I don't think it's going to happen. Where people say, why don't you preach on this issue, whatever the issue is? Why, why don't you get, you know, I was in a church in another state where every week they brought up this issue. It was always there because it's such an important issue in our culture and our society. Billy Graham says it's God's job to judge, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, it's our job to love. I believe that. I believe in God. And I believe what God's word says in the prophecy of Isaiah, that when God's word goes out, it doesn't come back empty. That it's the Holy Spirit's job to take the word of God that is proclaimed in this church by myself and the other preachers and to do the work of God in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. I believe in God. I believe the Holy Spirit actually does what the Bible says he's going to do. And I believe that what the Bible says about whether or not that's my place, it's not. It is not the place of the preacher or the Christian out there in the culture to convict people of their sin. That's the Holy Spirit's work. It is not the place of the preacher or the Christian out there in the world to judge the world, whether they're in and out with God, whether they're going to stand righteous before a holy God or unrighteous. That is God's work, according to scriptures. That doesn't mean we don't have a very important role or that we don't have something very powerful to proclaim that is worth giving our lives for and surrendering it all for. Martin Luther puts it this way in the Augsburg Confession, the seventh article. He uses the Latin phrase satis est, which means it is enough. It is enough for the unity of the church that we agree as Christians on the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the administration of the sacraments. Period. That's what unites us as the body of Christ. That's what unites us as Lutheran Church of Hope. Not where we stand politically, not where we stand socially, not making sure that we're in a comfortable church where everybody agrees with us on the major, very important social, political issues of our day. But that we are able to speak truth and love to one another about these issues and that we are able to speak truth and love to the world around us on these issues, and that we realize, because Jesus said so, that we do not have to agree on these issues in order to be one in Christ. Or we're saying the cross of Jesus isn't enough. The Bible says we preach Christ and him crucified because it's the power of the gospel for the salvation of all. Even the little girl who's coming up to preach with me right now. 
for her and for your parents and for you and for everybody, for people who are straight and for people who are gay. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for the salvation of all people. Lest we get on our spiritual high horse and think that we're the only ones who've earned it. This is what Jesus, Jesus is saying, not Mike Householder. This is what Jesus is saying. I will not define my ministry and my mission, Jesus says, on a social issue. As much as the world around me wants to and tries to manipulate me to do it, we will not be defined on issues that, that's the devil's work. Because the devil knows if he can divide us, he can conquer us. And he's doing quite well. Our own denomination is fragmented because of our debates over social issues. So are the Methodists. So are the Presbyterians. The Episcopalians, my goodness, it's a full-blown train wreck. Pentecostals, non-denominational. On and on and on. Pick your denomination. The battles come because people misplace the mission of the church and the purpose that we're here for and what has the power to unite us and what does not have the power to unite us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing, the only thing powerful enough to keep us together. I mean, look around the room. Do you realize there's people in this room who disagree with you? How do you, are you okay with that? You say, well, I know. So the goal of the church is to purify them and to make sure they all agree with me and get in line with my way of thinking. And, and when we get there, then we've reached our goal. Our goal is heaven. Our goal is the kingdom of God breaking into this world. Our goal is new life for the brokenhearted. Our goal is to serve and to reach out to the poor and the world around us and the hurting and people who are in need of God's love. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that God has blessed us with to be good stewards of and to proclaim to the world around us. And it is the devil's work to divide us so he can conquer us. Shame on us if we listen to that instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It it breaks... Sorry, but it breaks my heart to see our denomination fall apart because we've lost the main thing, because we've forgotten the mission of the church and we've sacrificed it for taking stands on issues. And so the message we've sent to people inside the church and outside the church is it's where you stand on these social issues, these political issues that matters the most. With all due respect to how important all of those, and they are important. They aren't the thing. They aren't what Jesus died for. He died for the sins of the whole world, not just the people you like to point fingers at. So where do we stand? We try to stand with Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He commands us to love all people. Everyone say all people. people. Say all people again. When Christians hate, we lose our moral center, and it's not worth it. And we lose our mission. The Bible says clearly, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Truth is very important, biblically speaking. But it always has to be proclaimed in love. Why are you asking me this, Jesus says? What's your motivation? Is it love? Do you want to know for clarification purposes, or do you want to know because you want to know if you're for me or against me? What's your motivation? Are, is, your, is your mind open right now to the Word of God? Is your heart open to it? Or are you just checking to see if you agree with the preacher? Speak the truth in love. 
The Bible insists and commands us. Truth without love is incomplete and unfaithful. Love without truth is equally unfaithful and, 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 and ultimately doesn't get us to where God wants us to go. But truth without love, it's not just incomplete, it's mean. It's, it's, it doesn't represent Christ as ambassadors of Christ in a faithful way. Jesus doesn't politely suggest he commands us to love all people. A few verses later, in the same chapter of Mark's Gospel, Mark 12, he says, the most important command, they keep pressing him, they keep asking him other questions about marriage, about divorce, about all these different things, and he says, and then they say, well, what's the most important thing, Jesus? And he says, it's love. You start with love, you finish with love, and love is in everything you do along the way. The most, this is Jesus, the most, our Lord, the most important commandment is this, Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because when you do, boy, it stands out. People say, yeah, but people who disagree with me on this issue, they're so hateful. They say such hateful things on Facebook. So does your side. Not you necessarily. But you realize, right, there's plenty of hate going both ways right now. And if you want to look for it, you can quickly find it. And then there's plenty of people who are taking a Christ-centered approach. And thank God for them. They're loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they're loving their neighbors themselves. Great example is what's happening in Charleston right now. A community that, can you imagine if that happened in Des Moines? This community is brokenhearted. They're grieving, they're mourning. These are nine of their leading citizens. These are, these are nine of the best of the best uh, of people who lived in Charleston who were murdered in cold blood by an evil terrorist who, who walked right in and shot him up because, because he, he has issues with, with race and skin color. So how does the church respond? Well, it calls for unity. And here's some glimpses of it and some pictures of it. They had this unity chain of love on the bridge outside of Charleston and Thousands of people showed up in the middle of the day and they joined hands, black and white and every ethnic background and race and nationality. And they sang and they prayed. What the devil means for evil and darkness, God brings his light to and means for good. I want you to know who Brandon Risher is, who you probably don't know. He's the grandson of Ethel Lance. You might, if you've been following the news closely, recognize her name. She's one of the nine victims of the shooting in Charleston. Brandon was asked to give the eulogy at his grandmother's funeral this past week. What would you say if it was your beloved grandma or your daughter or son or your aunt or uncle or your cousin or your best friend? What would you say if your loved one had been murdered in the way she was murdered? What, what, what would come out of your mouth? Here's what he said in the eulogy, among other things. My grandmother is a victim of hate, but she is also a symbol for love. That is what she was in life as a follower of Jesus. Hate is powerful, but love is more powerful. This comes right out of the scriptures. Do not fight evil with evil. Oh, I know it's tempting. Yeah, but they're so hateful on the other side, I have to respond with hate. Yeah, if you want to lower yourself into the pit of the way the world in its sinful human nature handles conflict, what does Jesus say? He says, turn the other cheek. 
He says, love those who persecute you. Bless those and pray for those who persecute you. Don't just say you love them, Romans 12 says. Really love them. Really love them. Here's a quick litmus test. What if next Sunday when you come into church, somebody sits next to you that you have the hardest time loving because of whatever prejudice or issue you have with that person or that group? You've never met this person, but just by judging the book by its cover. Who would that be for you? I want, you I, I want a bubble to go up over everybody's head right now, and I want you to think of that group of people. Somebody comes in here and sits down next to you. What's in your heart for that person? Jesus commands us to love. Comm now, don't just say you love the person, because that's the Christian answer. Oh, well, you know, I love the sinner, but I hate the sin. Really? Don't just say you love the sinner. Really love them. Really love the people who hate you, who are against you. Because as the Bible says, only God's love and the light of his love and God's goodness poured out through the light of that love is big enough and powerful enough to conquer evil. And that's what we're seeing now in Charleston, how God turns that around. What the world sees in us as Christians too often is hate. And part of that is not fair. Part of that is a misrepresentation of Christians in the church. But part of it is more than fair. Because we've done damage. We, we say things like, well, uh, if gay marriage is co comes through, it, it could be a threat to the institution of marriage. And we, we can talk about that. And, and I think that's a good topic to talk about. But you do realize, right, that in the last 50 years, Christians have done quite a number on marriage ourselves through just two things, divorce and adultery. We've practically destroyed the institution of marriage with just those two things. And those are in the Bible too, quite clearly. Just like sexual boundaries are. All of it, all of it comes into the mix. All of it is a part of it. Not just what's happening now, but all of it. And so the world outside of the church, when we lose our ability to love, we lose our moral center and we lose our mission. And so the world outside the church hears what we're saying, sees our attitude, says, I want nothing to do with the church because they hate me. You say, yeah, but they hate us too. Turn the other cheek, Jesus says. You can't fight evil with more evil. You can only conquer it with good. Love them. Invite them. Encourage them. Long for them to be here. The people that you disagree with. Welcome them into your church home because Jesus welcomes them. Be an ambassador for them. In his name. There's a movie that came out a few years ago called Easy A. And while it caricatures Christians in an unfair way completely and goes way over the top, it does give us a taste of at least how a lot of the secular world outside of the church sees the Christian world inside the church. Take a look. <laughs> Russell Moore, the president of Ethics and Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, a rather conservative group, says there are two sorts of churches that will not be able to reach the sexual revolution's refugees. The refugees, those who feel ostracized and left out and unwelcome. And there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. Because Christians have had this sort of selective uh, thinking when it comes to what sins qualify you to be able to come to church or not. You say, yeah, but this is sexual sin. And, and, and so, you know, it's right, it's, it's public, it's, it's in front of everybody, it, it hurts families. 
You know what Jesus said about sexual sin, right? He says, even if you look at lust at another human being, you're guilty of the same sin as those who commit adultery. Before you condemn people who are guilty of crossing God's sexual boundaries and same-sex relationships, check your, check your own life on this. How are you doing with lust? How are you doing with promiscuity? How are you doing with the way you see an attractive person as an object instead of a fellow human being and a child of God and a sister or brother in Christ? How are you doing with pornography? How are you doing with seeing people the way God sees people? All of it is sexual sin. All of it equal, biblically speaking, in God's eyes. All of it. Not just theirs, ours. All of it. Whatever it might be. There are two sorts of churches, Russell Moore goes on to say, that will not be able to reach the sexual revolution's refugees. And shame on us that they feel like refugees. A church that has given up on the truth of the scriptures, including on marriage and sexuality, and has nothing to say to a fallen world. But also a church that screams with outrage at those who disagree and will have nothing to say to those who are looking for a new birth. All they hear is our anger. All they hear is our judgment. All they hear is our self-righteousness. Hear Billy Graham again. It's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's our job to love. How you doing on that? How you doing on the love part? You see, I think one of the biggest problems on this issue and all sorts of other social issues in our day, where we get tempted in our sinful nature to get on a moral high horse and say they don't belong but we do, is we misunderstand sin. Sin, not the biblical definition, but our definition of sin is too often, incorrectly, something like this. Sin is what those people do that I don't do. It, it, it's the stuff, it's the, it's the lines they cross that I don't cross. Or we say sin is, you know, the obvious stuff. Murder. That's bad. Being mean to kids. There's got to be something in the Bible about that. There is. Murder, too. Uh, 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 sexual sins that I don't commit, and, and maybe a few cheating, lying, that's got to be wrong, right? Uh, uh, some of those things. There's more. There's a lot more. How are you doing on greed? Do you have enough money? You satisfied with it? How are you doing on envy? How are you doing on jealousy? How are you doing on pride? How are you doing on gluttony, eating too much? All of those are listed in the Bible as sins that condemn us, that separate us from a holy God. All of them, and a whole lot more. The list goes on and on and on and on. You say, whoa, who's going to be okay then? Who's going to stand righteous before a holy God? Those who've received God's grace. Those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Those who acknowledge that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Those who pour out love for the world around us in this way and have this attitude. Those who realize that the literal definition of sin from the original text of the Greek of the New Testament, the word for sin is amartano. That's this Greek word right up here. And what it means translated into English is a very simple and easy to understand definition, but so often missed. Amartano, sin in the Bible means You missed the mark. I missed it. I missed the bullseye. I went to the archery range. That's a humbling experience, isn't it? 
And I took out my arrows, and I, I aimed for the bullseye, and I thought, I think I can hit, I think I'm right on target, and I let her go, and I missed it. My arrow ended up in the red instead of the yellow, and God wants it in the yellow. In fact, God wants it inside this little circle inside the yellow, the bullseye. And do you know what the Bible says? If you don't hit the bullseye, that is sin. You miss the mark. No matter what it is, it's what, it's what you and I do or don't do. It's what you and I say or don't say. The Bible says it's even the sinful thoughts that we have. Gosh. It's easy to miss the mark. Sometimes I don't just miss the bullseye. Sometimes I miss the entire board. It goes over the top or it hits the ground before it even gets there. And if we're going to be honest about it, most of us don't have to go back more than 24 hours and take a quick spiritual inventory of the way we've dealt with people or, or with God in the last 24 hours and find a place where I didn't hit the bullseye. Where I didn't reach God's ideal. Where I didn't hit the mark, the high standard that God has for moral behavior. For a righteous life. If you can hit the bullseye every time, you don't need to listen to the rest of the sermon. You're good to go. If you never miss the mark, you're, and you can go out and condemn it and tell everybody, be like me. But if you are like me, and you miss the mark more than you hit it, and you don't have to go back 24 hours. You can go back two hours. You can go back to the minivan ride to church today. And you can say, oh man, I, I hit the ground before I hit anywhere near the target. Romans 3 puts it this way. All of us have sinned and fall short of the target. We all miss it. But God's grace is poured out for us anyway. Paul puts it this way in Romans 7. He says, the good stuff I want, I want to hit, it's not because I don't want to. I want to hit the target. I want to be a good Christian. I, I want to hit God's moral ideal. I, I want to. Paul says, I want to. The good stuff I want to do, Romans 7, I don't do all the time. The evil stuff that I say I'll never do again. How many times have you said I'll never do it again? I end up doing it anyway. Wretched man that I am, Paul says. Who will rescue me from this condition? And then Paul answers his own question with this good news for him and this truth and this good news for you and for me and for people who are gay or straight or sexual sinners of any kind or any other kind of sinners, and that would include all of us. We are all sinners in need of the same Savior. There aren't some people who need more salvation than you do. We all need it. We're all here because we're desperate for God's grace to be poured out for us. That's why we won't distract the mission of this church with side issues. And we'll stay focused on what we need the most for the salvation of all. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God being poured out for us. Paul says, who will rescue me from this condition? Wretched man that I am, thanks be to God. Here comes Jesus Christ. Here comes the champion to fight. Here comes the Savior. Here comes the Redeemer of all my sins. For you, for me, and for everybody. So guess what that makes us? A hangout for sinners. Not a hospital for sinners, not a hangout for saints. If you're looking for the church that's the hangout for saints, you came to the wrong place. And I don't know where that church is. Because the most dangerous kind of sinners are the ones who say, it's not me, it's them. So welcome to Lutheran Church of Hope. Whoever you are, straight or gay, I am so glad that you're here.
And we love you, and we welcome you, and we're glad that you are a part of this church. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Once we've established those two things, and if we haven't established those two things, we can't go to the next step. The first two things that the Bible teaches, that Jesus teaches, that we try to teach, love all people, confess that we're all sinners in need of the same salvation and grace, then you can speak truth and love. Because love without truth is incomplete. Check your heart. Check your motives before you go to step three. If you can't graduate from step one and step two, stop. Go back. Go directly back to the front. Go, 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 go back to go. Then we can go to the third one. According to the Bible, a full sexual relationship belongs inside the boundaries of a marriage between a man and a woman. Pastor Mike, can't you update that a little bit? Don't you realize what's happening in the world around you? I mean, people aren't going to think that that doesn't fit the, the, the motives. It doesn't fit the culture anymore. What if people get offended and leave? We'll miss you. And you're leaving for the wrong reasons. We can disagree on these things. And a lot of people in this church do. And that's okay. But we'll continue to teach what the Bible teaches. You say, okay, but you realize, right, that there's a lot of Christian scholarship out there now that has another view. There's actually not a lot. There's a little. 99% of it is still where that is. And the great biblical scholars of our day hang out in that 99%. But it's not a popularity contest of Christian scholars. It's just who's reflecting the Word of God faithfully. You say, what about slavery? What about other civil rights, justice issues, like the rights of women to be full members of the body of Christ or to be leaders within the church? You know, the church has changed its attitude about those issues over the years. Isn't gay marriage just something like that? I'd be more popular if I could tell you yes. But biblically, the trajectory from Genesis to Revelation, from the creation story to the very end and everything in between, is vastly different. Those other issues, the Bible never, ever says slavery is a good thing. It describes slavery. It doesn't say it's a good thing. The Bible takes radical stands in favor of the rights of women as full leaders within the body. Jesus certainly did, that's for sure. That were countercultural and radical and revolutionary. But the trajectory of gay marriage just isn't on the same line. It's nowhere close. You say, well, okay, but... You know, I see this a lot out there. I hear it a lot. People say, yeah, but there's a lot of laws in the Old Testament that we don't follow. There's a lot of things. You know, it's like if you wear two fabrics in your shirt, that, 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 that's sinful. Or that if you eat certain kinds of meat, or if you, if you do certain sorts of things, there's all these Old Testament laws, and we don't follow those anymore. So isn't, isn't sexual boundaries, marriage boundaries, isn't that the same thing? Sorry, it's not. There are ceremonial contextual laws which Jesus has fulfilled and are no longer in place. And then there are timeless moral laws that Jesus doesn't fulfill or replace. In fact, he lifts them up and affirms them that still hold. People who say Jesus never said anything about marriage boundaries or sexual boundaries haven't read the Gospels. Two chapters earlier in Mark 10, Jesus says, don't you know that God made them male and female from the beginning of creation and this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one? That's why God made us male and female. That's the whole point of creation. It's, 
And, and, and that's all the way back to pre-fall in Genesis. Jesus affirms it in Mark 10. He affirms it again in Matthew 19. The Apostle Paul affirms it later in the New Testament in Ephesians 5. And there's not even a hint. There's not even a hint that God blesses any other kind of marriage. Not even a hint. So the world can do what the world wants to do. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Legally, illegally, what, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But give to God what is God's. You're not going to be able to sway God on this one. In fact, Paul says it's a part of the mystery of describing our relationship with God, a marriage between a bride and a groom, a husband and a wife. It's a great mystery, the Bible says. But this is something God has woven into the fabric of creation and who we are. Now, that's not comfortable for the majority of you. For the majority of our... It doesn't fit with what you're hearing out there. It doesn't fit with the way of the world. But then I just want to gently challenge you in love. Who's your Lord? The culture? Your friends? The people who write blogs that make sense to you when you read it? Or the God who invented sex and is all for it and instituted an established marriage and had the idea in the first place and says, this is what it is. I love you all. I love you all, God says. You're all sinners in need of a Savior. You're all in the same boat. My love isn't poured out just for those of you who, who get a, a certain social issue right and, and not for those who don't. It's for all of you. So surrender it all, God says. Let your light shine. Let it shine for the whole world to see. Be the church. Understand that our calling is to let that light shine in the darkness because when it does, like is happening in Charleston right now, the darkness starts to take notice. How many people have you led to faith in Jesus Christ by winning an argument? By hating them into the kingdom? By chastising them? By shaming them? By telling them how terrible they are? I've never seen it. I'm sure maybe somewhere it's happened, but it's rare. Everybody I know who's gone from darkness to light, from atheism to Christianity, everybody I know who's had that transformation and that conversion, there are lots of you out here who that's your story, have been led to the kingdom of God because somebody loved them into it. Because somebody actually loved them and cared for them enough to walk alongside of them and lead them into the kingdom of God. Let your light shine like that, church. And when you see the need, you meet the need. When the floodwaters rise, when God's people are in need, Romans 12 says, be ready to help them as you were this past week and you, you, you turned out in, in, in high numbers to, to sandbag and to make a difference. Love this world around you. Don't dismiss it. Love the world around you. Serve this world around you. Give to this world around you. It's radical. It's revolutionary. It's countercultural. It's counterintuitive. It's not popular. But it's the only way to fly. God loves you. We love you. I'm really glad you're here. So let's surrender it all to God, all of us, because all of us are sinners in need of this Savior. Take a look at this clip from Bruce Almighty. Jim Carrey finally decides to surrender it all. He can't take it anymore. All of his relationships have fallen apart because of his own sin. And so he cries out to God in this prayer, and let this be your prayer now as we close this service and sing this song. It'll just take 30 seconds.
So God's got him in the right position, <laughs> but the wrong place. It's just stupid to go out and surrender it all to God on 235 later this afternoon. <laughs> Do it right here. This is the right place. It's a safe place. And let's make it an even safer place for everybody to come and to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's the power of salvation for you, for me, and for all people. And we all need it. We all need it. Amen? Let's stand up and sing.